You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com, and joining me as always from MMA Junkie in USA today, it's your friend and mine, Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? I'm doing great. What'd you do with your weekend off? Did you pay the $100 to watch the, the punch fight on the television? Man, you know I ain't paying $100 to watch Floyd Mayweather, of all people. I know that that's, you know that. I know that that's beneath you, because you would consider it to be barbarism. Two men essentially tying weights to the end of their fists punching each other about the head and the shoulders. Not one of them with the decency to shoot for a takedown. Not not even an ankle pick. Can't even give me an ankle pick? little foot sweep, maybe? I know that, that, that you would consider that to be just brutality of, a, of an order that, that a gentleman such as yourself would not partake. I have a weird like personal rule. Um, once I have read a handwritten account that your son wrote about seeing you beat up his mother... Uh, I can't give you money. That's that's just my weird thing. That's a tough one. Yeah, man. and I'm it's, about to have a son, so I better not teach him how to read or write. Yeah, well, so I don't, don't want to get blackballed. Yeah, by you. That's right. It's like, then your career will be over. I'm pretty much all you got. Just riding your coattails from day one, Ben. This week, the episode of the co-main event podcast that you are currently listening to is brought to you by DraftKings.com. As we've told you in recent weeks here on the show, DraftKings.com is America's favorite daily fantasy sports site, and they've been going hard with the daily fantasy MMA tournaments this year. This week, however, our message is a little bit different. This week, we're here to remind you that DraftKings.com is still the leader in the other summer sports as well. I'm talking about sports like baseball and sports like golf. In fact, last year, some dude named Peter from Colorado won a million dollars at DraftKings in just one day by playing daily fantasy baseball. What? So that guy can buy new mics for his podcast, I bet. There you go. Now that he won that million dollars. Peter from Colorado sounds like one of our listeners. Maybe he'd like to be a guest host. Now, DraftKings is also America's favorite one-week fantasy golf site where you can win huge prizes every week during every tournament. Just head to DraftKings.com before tee off on Thursday. Pick six golfers, stay under the salary cap, and win cash. These are the biggest one-week fantasy golf contests anywhere, and only DraftKings has them. Remember to pick your players before tee off on Thursday morning to seriously cash in by Sunday night. Ben. Tell them about the promo code. Well, Chad, you hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter code CME to play for free. You could win part of $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Enter CME for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one... Listener Shabanwa Maclemag was perusing some CME deep cuts this week when she found this quote from co-host Ben Folks during episode number one. And I quote, One of the things that has been interesting about John Jones since he started out in the UFC was that he seems to be on this accelerated timeline and his development was so much faster. His rise to stardom was so much faster. 
Why shouldn't he, his self-destruction be faster and then his redemption from that self-destruction? He could pack it all in, the full life cycle of the famous professional athlete. He could pack it all in and be done by the time he's 30. Wow, who was that quote from again? That's from Ben Folks, co-host of the co-main event podcast way back 152 weeks ago on episode number one. Well, that man sounds, dare I say, prescient, uh, well-spoken, and I hear I'm just inferring handsome. I want to know why you don't say smart stuff like that now. Like you peaked episode one. Yeah, that was a mistake. And now, 152 weeks later, here we are, and you're just over there just mumbling bullshit. Just sputtering angrily into a microphone. In round number two, Mark Hunt and Stipe Miocic fight on Saturday in Australia on thefightpass.com. But it was a pretty slow week in MMA this week, so I guess we're going to talk about it. And in round number three, Habib Nurmagomedov is out, and John Mcdessey is in at UFC 187. And that's just about as good, right? It's probably totally a coincidence that everybody who draws a paycheck from the MMA industry started updating their resumes this week. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but right now, like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. You know, you uh, a little bit slow on the Stipe button over there. Stipe. Wow. Weakest Stipe ever. Stipe. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from uh, Chun Tao. He writes, now that the fight of the century between Pacquiao and Mayweather is done and turned all the casual viewers away from watching boxing ever again, do you think it would be a great move for the UFC UFC to quickly step in and make Aldo McGregor what Pacquiao Mayweather should have been? I was thinking if they made it free and promoted the hell out of it, the UFC would be able to obtain all the casual viewers and grow the sport. Discuss. Well, I don't know about that whole making it free part. Yeah. That doesn't seem like something that the uh, Zufa LLC overlords would do. Not really their MO. Giving stuff it. away for free, uh, and I mean, I struggle with this here now because clearly, like, we got a Floyd Mayweather fight on Saturday night, and the reaction to that was mixed. Uh, and some of the reaction to that, some of the mixed reaction, I guess you could say, came from the UFC itself. Yeah, they were they were throwing some heat over there, and I found that to be unseemly yeah. and distasteful, and kind of at the end of the day reminded us that like the thing that we're dealing with while perhaps healthier from month to month is still sort of small time when you view it in the context of these like mega super fights yeah well you know i was thinking about it because i I thought the same thing that it did seem a little unseemly but then it also seemed unseemly in the same way as the constant talk about which ufc fighter could beat up Floyd Mayweather on the Las Vegas Strip. It seemed like the same kind of thing. Like, how can we use the attention this is getting? How can we grab just a little piece of that spotlight for ourselves? Which is a tacit acknowledgement that your your spotlight is nowhere as big as the one that they're getting there. And I was thinking about it because I was out on Saturday night. My in-laws were in town. Uh, we left our children there with them and basically forced them to watch our children while my wife and I went out on the town alone. Uh, went to went to the brew fest. Uh, went, went to a couple of local taverns and we went to one bar, uh, in downtown Missoula, which I would describe as like where, where the cool kids drink. Uh, and they turned you away at the door. Well, we got there and I've never seen any, they have like a couple tiny TVs and I've never seen any sports on those TVs. It's like they're watching, uh, Jeopardy or like, you know, 
uh, drum line or something constantly on these little TVs and nobody's paying attention. We get there to the door and they wanted $20 ahead to watch the Mayweather Pacquiao fight. You'd never guess this place would get any pay-per-view sports. They certainly would never even think about getting a UFC and charging admission. And so naturally we turned right around and walked out of there and went to a bar that was not showing the fight. But I was kind of thinking about it like, man, can you, what, can you imagine what UFC fight it would take to get any kind of similar buzz. Like you could have Cain Velasquez and John Jones and it doesn't get anywhere close to No, that. not anywhere close. You just close. couldn't make a U- But at the same time, I think a lot of the mixed reaction to this came from that you had a lot of people watching this boxing match who don't watch boxing. Because if yeah. they watched boxing, they would know what to expect from a Floyd Mayweather fight. And they clearly didn't. Right. And I think you make a good point about the, like, John Jones, Cain Velasquez, UFC, like, not being able to book a fight that's in the same stratosphere as this one. I, you know, we don't talk a lot of other sports on this show for good reason because we're running an MMA podcast over here. But like to me, the most striking thing about the lead up and the fight and the fallout to this Floyd Mayweather Manny Pacquiao fight uh, and as it relates to to MMA, the most striking thing to me was the thirst that it revealed in like the the culture at large, the thirst that it revealed for uh, like a big boxing event like. And I think that boxing knew that and that and boxing fully understood how important this fight and this moment was for its sport. And I think for that reason, you had a lot of boxing writers, not all, but some kind of ignoring the drawbacks to this fight up until like the last couple of days. Cause, uh, you know, I think everybody who knows a little bit about boxing and this certainly includes me because I'm no boxing aficionado. I don't, I don't watch it very much, but like everybody that I read or talked to who was in the know knew exactly what to expect this fight in this fight that Floyd Mayweather is a masterful defensive fighter and that Manny Pacquiao is powerful, but maybe a couple of years past his prime and they expected like an ordinary Floyd Mayweather to fight to break out and like boxing writers by and large acknowledge that but also firmly kept the focus on how awesome this event was going to be. And then, you know, the same thing with, with Mayweather's domestic violence convictions in the past that like that kind of flew under the radar until the past, you know, until the uh, couple of days just before the fight. Yeah. And then it all kind of blew up. And I, and like, well, and if anything, it was his response to that. It finally coming up a little bit more, right. Ma- made it blow up even more. And like, I don't know if, if this was like a conscious effort. I probably wasn't a conscious effort, but it seemed like on the part of boxing, the culture, there was this idea that like, hey, we need this one. So like, even though we suspect it's not going to be the most competitive fight, like maybe maybe we focus on the positives here. And like, even even if uh, Floyd Mayweather seems like a despicable individual, like we can divorce ourselves from that to get through this one night. And frankly, uh, it worked because the the like I said, the culture at large seemed shockingly ready. I thought to to embrace a big moment spectacle boxing match and that included you know like tom brady flying from kentucky to las vegas to take in the kentucky derby and this fight on the same day and like uh you know uncles and moms and grandmas getting together to watch this this fight and like that kind of attention and that kind of interest just doesn't exist with mixed martial arts and it may never and like the factors that i think that play into that are varied and uh and like kind of uh you know, nuance would take some talking about if we were going to discuss them all. Yeah. No, and I, that's true. I mean, I, I had like ex-girlfriends who I haven't talked to in years, like texting me and be like, Hey, are you at this Mayweather? Like they know I cover some kind of fighting thing professionally. They don't even like fighting. And they were like at some friend's house, like watching it. And there's just, 
there's nothing that MMA really has that's going to get to that level at this point. But I would make the point about Chun Tao's original point about, hey, if you maybe tried to do something like that with Aldo McGregor, which I'm going to go out on a limb here and say would be a much more exciting fight than, than Mayweather Pacquiao was. Sure. Uh, which, you know, just based on everybody's descriptions of it, I'd not watch Mayweather Pacquiao. But uh, the idea of like, hey, why not? Give it away for free, promote the hell out of it, and get all the casual fans. Scoop up all those people and sell them on it as like, hey, this is what you actually want to see. You just didn't know it. I would argue that even after this big boxing weekend, like, and even if it had been an awesome fight, I don't think that was going to be boxing making a whole bunch of new fans. I think that was a one-time deal. Like, you had a, a fight that people, and they knew these two names. They'd heard these two names in conjunction with one another for a long enough period of time. You get these people, they'll, they'll sit down and watch this because it feels like an event that the culture, like you said, is kind of rallying around. Um, but I don't think any kind of performance necessarily would have left those people being like, okay, well, who's, who's boxing next weekend? Let's see that. Like, I don't think that was going to happen. And so I, I don't think that would happen uh, with Aldo McGregor either. I think that the UFC's best bet is to promote the hell out of it as they are and still try and make their money pay-per-view wise off of it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and you know, that is going to be a good fight. And hopefully for, for the UFC's sake produces a, a big buy rate for them. What is it though about boxing that like still gives it this power in our culture because like a, a lot of it must be history, right? Yes. And that the sport yeah. itself is more ingrained in like our cultural ideology, our, our cultural sense of self than like, than mixed martial arts is at this point. Um, I think some of it is also money that like Floyd Mayweather has made such a spectacle out of himself that he like kind of created this cult of personality, whether positive or negative around him. And that, you know, that has a lot to do with him making $400 billion per fight or whatever it is. I think that like that in and of itself, like makes him a powerhouse juggernaut uh, of, you know, in as far as promotion is concerned. Uh, and I think like aesthetics is part of it too. Like kind of like a subtle part that, that the UFC at least, well, no, the UFC from the beginning, let's say has always taken pains to market itself differently than boxing and like the broadcast feels different than boxing. And early on in my career as an MMA writer, I always thought that that was kind of a mistake that like, instead of having two guys in suits or tuxedos or whatever, they had Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg out there in their club shirts, yeah. like set a very different tone for the mixed martial arts broadcast than a boxing broadcast. And for a few years there, when the MMA, when uh, the UFC really hit its peak, I thought that I was wrong about that. I thought, Oh, well, these guys were right. Like they understood more about, their target audience than I did like they they were right to make these changes and to like make their broadcast feel a little bit more modern and young than than some of these boxing broadcasts but now I think I've swung back the other way because now that I think about it and like the kind of the way that boxing turns itself into a spectacle and like you have Jim Lampley and Larry Merchant or whoever wearing tuxedos and talking to each other like that is a thing that your grandma is more apt to watch than you know, two guys in the in affliction dress shirts. Right. Well, I also think that boxing benefits from they actually do get the kind of celebrity bump that the UFC tries to get. Like the thing that UFC is trying to do when they're like retweeting like Dave Navarro, like like being like, I'm going to watch some UFC fights tonight. And they can't wait to just blast it across the screen to show you like, look, Dave Navarro's watching. It must be cool. Like boxing, I think, actually does benefit from that because when you have like a fight like this one, Part of the story is all the celebrities like Tom Brady and all everybody who's going to fly in, Justin Bieber and everybody going to be there. Uh, 
ringside and that gives it a feel you know jay-z and beyonce are going to be there it feels like a big deal like because those people want to go and watch like those people who are the people we watch want to be there to watch right and that's uh, aesthetics right yeah. like that occurs because of the history of the sport but also like that boxing kind of promotes itself as this like high class affair well also i think that boxing benefits from like the, if you don't follow the sport it's pretty easy to turn it on and understand what's happening right away Two guys trying to punch each other in the face, man. They can't punch each other in the balls. They're trying to punch each other in the face. If they they hug too long, the referee will get up in there and separate them. And that's kind of it, like, as far as rules go. Like, you don't need to understand too much more than that to get what's happening at any given time. Whereas if you don't watch MMA and you suddenly turn, you know, your your friends tell you, like, oh, what are you guys doing Saturday night? We're all going over to Jimmy's house. He's getting this MMA fight. It's going to be huge. Okay, I guess I'll go because everybody I know is doing that. You get there, you kind of need someone to tell you a little bit about what's going on. Like yeah. you can't just walk into it. The learning curve is a little steeper. And so I think that's part of it too. But who knows? I mean, MMA, as people were pointing out to me recently when I was doing this the story about uh, Tank Abbott's apology letter and all that, they're like, hey, it's basically 22 years old in, right. in North yeah. America. So give it some time and maybe it'll become more an ingrained part of the culture as well. Next question this week comes to us from Paul Peterson. He writes, while I was looking at the post-Jones light heavyweight division, uh, I got to thinking, what if the UFC did away with it? Many of the light heavyweights now wouldn't have to cut the weight and could still compete at the heavyweight division, which gets a huge shot in the arm. And the smaller 205ers would drop down to middleweight. You get two great divisions by getting rid of one that has nothing new to offer us except repeats of, of fights from pride. Ben, hot take alert. Paul <laughs> Peterson has written to the podcast to advocate for the UFC and MMA at large, maybe getting rid of its glamour division. Historically, the most popular and most exciting division, the division of Tito Ortiz, the division of Randy Couture, of Chuck Liddell, of John's Bones Jones. Just axe it. Just get rid of it. What do you think? I'd say no. I would say no, too. But that doesn't like get us totally out of the woods here because... Uh, I wrote a thing about John Jones, about the light heavyweight division without John Jones last week. Uh, and when you start looking around at this division, obviously we come into it knowing that it's pretty shallow. If you look at the UFC's official rankings, you can't get out of the top 10 without encountering dudes like Jimmy Manawa. But like you start looking at this division, uh, and it's kind of bleak. It's bleak in the same way that heavyweight is bleak in that this is an old division. It's not particularly deep. And uh, with John Jones out of there, man, like now you just have kind of like a, uh, a cadre of contenders that he's already beaten. So it seems like, I don't know if I want to say dark times are ahead for the light heavyweight division, but like I think some new light heavyweight talent is going to have to show up on the scene regardless of what happens with John Jones and uh, kind of revitalize this division. Because right now, uh, even though I don't want to get rid of the division, I think Paul Peterson's point is well taken that like, yeah, we've, we've got some trouble here and have had some trouble for some time. I don't, I feel like when you tell me that there's going to be a light heavyweight fight on, I feel like I am going to get the benefits of basically seeing a heavyweight fight, like big guys who, uh, could end the fight at any time with one punch. But I also feel like part of the, the connotative, like, feel I get from it is these guys are better athletes. Right. They have the stuff that the heavyweights got going on for them. They probably won't gas out and it won't turn into just like an ugly affair of like two kind of fat dudes leaning on each other, which as we've said before on this podcast, a three round heavyweight fight can be some of the worst shit to sit through in MMA. 
Uh, and I don't feel like you have that same problem with light heavyweight. I also feel like if you're the UFC, the thing you don't want to do right now is start messing around with too many weight classes. Like just like we were saying about how young the sport is, everything. I think the UFC right now wants to oh, changing the weight classes because we're talking about fewer weight classes. Yes, here. Well, you, I, just, you don't want to monkey around with it at all. Right. You want to give the sense that like. This is the way it is because it was handed down on a fucking stone tablet at the top of a mountain by the MMA gods, and that's that's all there is to it. You don't want to start telling people like, well, hey, we we, we might screw around and and take away a weight class, uh, or you know, change up the weights or anything. You wanna you need, especially as a young sport, you need to have that feel that like the this shit is set in stone and this is the way it is. While I was doing some research for that story about the the, uh, the light heavyweight division without John Jones, I was looking around. After I noticed that the division was so old, I was looking around for like you know light heavyweight prospects. Like, where's the next great generation of light heavyweights going to come from? Uh, and you know what I what I found out? College football, Eastern Europe. Oh, okay, that's where they're coming from, and Russia. I looked at the uh, on Bloody Elbow. They had a, a thing where they broke down like the top 15, 10 or 15 uh, prospects in every weight class. And damn near every one of them in the light heavyweight division had a name like Habib Nurmagomedov. They were all named something like that. So Joe Silva, pack your bags, buddy. <laughs> Eastern Block Tour 2015. How glamorous. Next question this week comes from Leonard Raines. He writes, hey, guys, so Melvin Gillard just signed with Bellator on what is being reported as a quote-unquote multi-year, multi-fight deal. I guess my question is how long before Melvin gets disgruntled, starts missing weight and losing fights, and eventually pressures his bosses to cut him loose so he can go sign with wait he's actually out of places to sign with now scratch that new question is this the end of the road for the 32 year old middle-aged assassin um kinda right because i think the the point stands like he's already kind of worn out his welcome with the ufc and then was not happy in world series of fighting and and as far as i can tell kind of forced their hand into releasing him and now he's over in bellator uh where he could be a a a good addition to the lightweight division but also, like, you know, in the great example of Rampage Jackson, we've seen people go over to Bellator before, and once they get there, realize maybe it's not the, you know, the heaven that they imagined it to be. Yeah, then, you know, you wonder about Guillard's uh, other option. He's one of those guys, though, when you point out to me that he's 32 years old and also still walking around with the young assassin nickname, I feel like he should be so much older because it feels like we've been watching him forever. Uh yeah, and you wonder though where he's gonna go because I mean this is isn't he the same one who at one point said he was gonna return to Jackson Winklejohn's uh, yes. to resume his training yes. there and clearly had not really discussed it with them uh, beforehand and as soon as they heard it they were like what what no no he's not welcome here and he's had to be like oh that's embarrassing uh, I feel like maybe the same kind of thing is starting to happen with his MMA career a little bit like we're just we're gonna hit all the bases before this thing is over. Um, and I, I mean, he does still have that thing going for him where he's a known name. He can be an exciting fighter. Like his last fight in World Series of Fighting, that, that split decision loss to Justin Gaethje. I mean, it's really no shame in losing to Justin Gaethje. It was a pretty exciting fight. Uh, and yet at the same time, it feels like we've seen where Melvin Guillard can go at this point. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to reach new heights just because he's over in Bellator. Yeah, it, re it reminds me, 
if nothing else, how precipitous the fall can be in mixed martial arts. Because one of the weirdest things I ever did was when I was doing the weekly MMA column for Crave Online, which you also used to do. I did. Uh, the company that Sweet owned 50 bucks a pop, as I remember, owned SureDog or, or used to own yeah. SureDog. Uh, back when the sports editor at Crave Online was a mod Childress, awesome dude, awesome dude. Uh, by the way, and like one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me was that he offered me this opportunity to go to Florida on this uh, automotive junket. Oh yes, to, to I go remember to this. Daytona Beach, Florida, on this automotive junket where uh, Star Motorcycles, a division of Yamaha, was going to have Diego Sanchez there. Uh, to, to um, present him with a signature motorcycle or something like that. And so, like, it was free for me. So I was like, yeah, man, I'll go to Florida and hang out with a bunch of automotive riders. Why not? So I went on this trip, and this was right after Diego Sanchez had his fight, I believe, with Martin Campman, where he endured horrendous injuries but but won the fight. Uh, and he didn't end up coming. His, he was not allowed to come on the trip. And so uh, must have been Jackson's MMA at the at the time sent Melvin Gillard instead. So it was just sort of like I was there. The guy I was supposed to so do they, a story on did not show up. They ordered other like, guys showed up like a rental car. They ordered a Diego Sanchez or similar. Yeah, I guess so. And so it was like it was the summer of 2011. And, and Melvin Gillard had himself was on like a four or five fight win streak in the UFC. And I just remember like all of a bunch of his sponsors were there, like the people from Silver Star and like the people from Star Motorcycles. And everyone was so excited about Melvin Gillard being there. Uh, and I remember the guy who owned Silver Star, I think it was Silver Star, was telling me about how he thought Melvin was going to be the next UFC lightweight champion. And I was kind of like, okay, I guess. <laughs> uh, and like he was flying, he was, as they say on Behind the Music, he was riding high. <laughs> and then it all came crashing down. Here we are a few years later and it's like, uh, you you got to think that the guy's career is kind of in, in its twilight now. Yeah, you know that's something actually. I was when I was doing a story recently on like the wisdom of when to wait for a title shot, when to just keep fighting, and and talking to different managers and and trainers and stuff like that. One of the things that they said, and I think it was uh, Dan Lambert from uh, uh, American Top Team, was saying. You know, one thing you have to kind of take into account is like when you get at or near the top, you really need to capitalize on this sport because when you do fall off, for most guys, it's not a little bit of falling off. It's not like you go, you were number two or three in the world and you sink down to five or six. It's usually like you feels like you blink your eyes and you're 14, 15 falling out of the rankings. Like that's how quickly it usually happens. Uh, and, and that is true. That's one of the kind of, heartbreaking things about this sport is that there's just not a whole lot of like the, the falling action after your peak is, is not really very lengthy for most guys. There's a few exceptions to that, but usually uh, once people kind of figure you out or you lose a step or something, things start to go badly in a hurry and you really have to, to make it count while you can. Yeah. And as we've discussed on this show before, like one of the great weaknesses of the mixed martial arts fighter and maybe one of the great strengths just the same is that they have to keep this positive outlook, right? They have to believe that good things are ahead of them to even like go through the drudgery of what, you know, uh, a near continuous training camp uh, situation r would require. Uh, but that also means that every single guy like thinks he's about to be the champion when that's true for almost none of them. And uh, it is such a, a, a quick fall that, 
I don't know, man. It must be just very weird to one day no one wants to fly you to Florida to get a free motorcycle anymore, yeah. right? Because at the time that that was happening, you assumed that like that was just going to keep happening forever. Yeah. Or like Michael Bisping, who we talked about, like when he uh, was up there saying just recently, hey, I will be the, the, the champion someday. And you're like, yeah, you know, I, I can understand why Michael Bisping needs to believe that, even though, you know, from our position outside the cage it doesn't seem like there's anything too wrong with michael bisping continuing to do the michael bisping thing for a few more years make some more money uh he can make a good living that way uh and then kind of slowly transition into to whatever's next whether it's on air commentating or, or whatever like that seems like a fine outcome that seems like one of the like better case scenarios you could hope for as an mma fighter and yet at the same time he probably couldn't do that if he weren't telling himself that he were he was doing something a couple steps ahead of that, like becoming champion. All right, last question this week from Peter Muir. He writes, is it just me that thinks that the fact that UFC has put John Dodson versus Zach Makovsky on the undercard uh, is a bad move for the division when it would make sense to put them on the main card and give the flyweight division some exposure, seeing as the winner has the potential to be fighting for the title? Just feel the UFC has missed a chance to advertise the division yet again Discuss. Uh, yeah, I'm on record here saying that, that, like, this whole enterprise makes me question why we even booked Demetrius Johnson to fight he, Kyoji Horiguchi last month if, uh, erstwhile number one contender and the guy that we want to see him fight, John Dodson, is just going to return next month to appear at UFC 187 in a fight against kind of a dangerous dude in Zach Makovsky, a guy that, uh, you know, John Dodson will definitely be the favorite there. But if Zach Makovsky wrestled his way to a unanimous decision here, I don't think it would blow everybody's minds. Uh, so like just, just, and I know that what they're, they maybe they're trying to build it up and maybe schedules didn't work out exactly right. And John Dodson was coming back from, from injury and all that. But when I look at the, the way this all played out, I just wonder, why not just hold Demetrius Johnson out for one more month and then have him fight John Dodson like they were supposed to last year? Okay, well, but the the question here is about whether this particular fight should have been on the main card of UFC 187, which I think, I, I mean, I, I think sometimes the UFC gets criticized in a situation where they're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't when it comes to the flyweights. People are going to complain that if you put the flyweights on the main card, damn it, uh, the flyweight division is boring, or why are we sitting through this? Um, and then if you put them... On the prelims, hey, you're not giving the flyweights enough exposure. I mean, for one thing, this, Chad, I know you'll appreciate. This is the featured prelim. Right. The prelim main event uh, on on Fox Sports 1. And, but I do think that there's – it seems to be no accident that it's where it is on, on the card position. Because if you're going to watch UFC 187, the pay-per-view, you're probably going to be sitting down watching by the time you get to the end of the prelim portion on, on Fox Sports 1. And in fact, plenty of people might be watching that free portion on Fox Sports 1 that then do not go on to buy the pay-per-view. So it's a pretty good place for it. I mean, that could be a, a exciting fight and one that helps you promote a, a future title challenger. People are going to see that fight where it is right now. Um, and I think, you know, you also got another flyweight fight in uh, Joseph Benavidez and John Moraga on the main card. So, I mean, I think that makes pretty good sense. Like, I think sometimes we get caught up in, like, the distinction, like, the honor of being on the main card as if it tells you necessarily that the UFC thinks that you're awesome. And if you're not on there, then the UFC thinks that you're not awesome. I think you see Uriah Faber fighting on some of those featured prelim spots and it tells you that the UFC sees that as a good like exposure spot sometimes and hey sometimes you're better off fighting on Fox Sports 1 in front of a larger audience than for a huge drop off where it goes from like you know close to a million viewers to maybe two or three hundred thousand for the actual pay-per-view yeah I think you're exactly right more people are going to watch 
John Dodson and Zach Makovsky, then are probably going to end up watching, you know, Chris Webb and Vitor Belfort, at least live on, on pay-per-view. And as you said, fact check, there is a flyweight fight on the main card of this, of this pay-per-view. And then there's a third flyweight fight all the way down on the fightpass.com where the Scrog dog, Justin Scoggins takes on uh, Josh Sampo. Did you say uh, Scrog dog, even though there's not a R I in his name? I always say that by accident. Cause it should, I always wanted to call him Justin Scroggins for some reason. Scog dog. Scog dog. Scog dog's pretty good. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know what to do. Go to the website, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast, and that'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you might as well sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss every week from Monday to Friday when we're not recording the podcast. Brings you up to speed in kind of a funny way. You'll like it. Sign up for it while you're there. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. This week, round one of the co-main event podcast is presented by the National Academy of Sports Medicine. The National Academy of Sports Medicine is looking for people who want exciting careers in the fitness industry, careers where you wake up every day doing something that you love. NASM trainers improve people's lives by helping them reach their health and fitness goals. Don't miss this opportunity to start a career where you stay active and change people's lives it doesn't get any better. NASM guarantees you'll land a job within 60 days of earning your CPT certification or your money back. Ben, there's a free offer. Tell them about it. Well, Chad, you can get a free 14-day trial of fun online programs at myusatrainer.com. It's myusatrainer.com. Restrictions apply. See myusatrainer.com for details. Well, Ben, I guess round number one starts with a mea culpa from me, co-host Chad Dundas, since I went on record, what was it, last week? Back when we were just kids, when our understanding of this situation was was brand new and limited. We were just babes in the woods. Uh, I feel like you're already trying to trying to back away from some of the things that Chad Dundas Esquire, attorney at law, might have said. Don't I don't know what you mean exactly, although I do freely admit to the fact that I went on record saying that I didn't think that John Jones was going to suffer any real, uh, um, you know, adverse effects of this hit and run accident in down in New Mexico, at least as far as the UFC was concerned. Uh, and even after he made his initial court appearance last weekend and things seemed to go pretty well for him as well as they could have been expected when he got in front of the judge and, and, uh, she didn't restrict his travel so that he could still travel to Las Vegas to, uh, take on Anthony Johnson at UFC 187. His bond was paltry at a $2,500, uh, bond. They didn't charge him any more money, which they could have done when he showed up the next day. Uh, it seemed as though, uh, if I had to guess, and I did, all systems would be go for uh, him to take on Anthony Johnson, especially after UFC brass kind of swooped into uh, New Mexico and swooped out without a decision. But later that night, it came down. John Jones stripped of the UFC light heavyweight title and now out on indefinite suspension. 
Well, I think that the UFC was just facing so much pressure here based on the the full John Jones history, uh, especially a lot of it very recent uh, history. Like, you can only play this game for so long, right, where you say, like, you know what, we're as concerned about this as anybody, but he's taken the proper steps and we're confident that uh, all this is behind him. Like, you can do that for, for a little while. Like, they did it with after the co- positive cocaine test and everything when they were totally supportive and, in fact, quite proud of him for his one-night rehab stay. Uh, but then when he turns right around with something like this, the the pressure just gets to be too much. You have too many different people saying, like, come on, they they have to take a stand. Um, and, I, I, I mean, I was surprised that they went – that they – went kind of with the nuclear option as far as they're concerned. Like we all know they're not going to cut John Jones and invite Bellator to come in there and sign him. Like that's definitely not going to happen. So this was as basically as much as they could reasonably do strip him of the title, sit him down on a definite suspension, uh, pull him out of UFC 187, offer up the title to, to a couple other guys. I mean, that's, that's the UFC going ham right there. Uh, and while I was surprised that they did it, I, I was also glad that they did it. I mean, I think that that's what you had to do in that situation to kind of send a message. Yeah, I think you got to give them credit for, for stepping in and doing that, even if it was, as you say, just in a reaction to like the building public scrutiny and like kind of the, uh, the public outcry that, that had been building up. And in retrospect, now that I think about it, like maybe we should have been a little bit more cognizant to the fact that this was coming down once Kenny Florian went on Fox Sports 1 and and uh advocated that they strip him of the title because you know in retrospect like that didn't happen by mistake right like they didn't you're saying you think Kenny Florian needs approval from on high before he can he can I make such a statement on Fox I Sports 1 I don't think 1? anything happens on Fox Sports 1 unless until they at least run it by their official broadcast partners right over in Las Vegas so uh maybe we should have known that that this was was going to come down and uh this was the latest incident in a long line of not only like weird and bizarre, destructive personal behavior for John Jones, but also like behavior that seemed to be getting worse. Yeah. Almost like once you consider the timeline of, you know, going all the way back to 2011 when he got busted for driving without a license. And then the following year he got, uh, pulled, uh, pled guilty, I guess, to DUI. Uh, and, and then got, you know, the year, two years after that, tested positive for cocaine and then the hit and run in 2015, it did constitute a, a, like an escalating pattern of behavior, I guess you could say. And that doesn't even take into account that one time that he smashed up his Bentley and then tweeted that he was okay and God is good. And then somebody was like, <laughs> Hey, what about the people in the other car? And he was like, Oh, I don't know. That lady got taken away on a stretcher. I hope she's okay. Uh, that's not even counting that incident yeah. where he revealed his true face to us for a moment. Uh, but Ben, what is the deal with, I'm going to ask you, since you were so prescient back in episode number one, what's the deal with John Jones? Why is he so brilliant between the cage link and seemingly kind of hapless and personally destructive outside of it? Well, I mean, maybe some of it is, uh, learned behavior that you, you make a few mistakes like this, you screw up and then you learn whether consciously or unconsciously that there aren't any real serious consequences for you because the UFC needs you so much, you know, your, your management people, uh, everybody around you is relying on you. Uh, you're kind of the meal ticket for a lot of different people. So they don't want to do anything, uh, that's going to piss you off. Uh, and they'll let you get away with stuff that other people wouldn't get away with. And whether you mean to or not, you're going to learn those lessons, right? That like, hey, I can – if I get in trouble, it's going to be fine um, because of who I am. I also think though – I mean some of it is just like – I think you hear a lot of the stories that come out of the, the Jackson's camp about how 
John Jones didn't really train that hard for this fight or, you know, didn't train at all really for this one. And he still went out there and was awesome. How could you not at a certain point get some kind of sense of yourself that you are untouchable? That like you can do shit that other people can't do. You don't even really need to, uh, to, to put in the work that other people put in or you don't need to take the precautions that other people take. You, like you, you might even get bored with your own success and your own abilities at some point. Um, and I could see how maybe stuff like this ends up filling the void, even if you don't mean for it to. Yeah. I mean, I guess previous to this, you couldn't totally blame the dude if he believed that he was bulletproof, right? Because he was pretty much on the regular walking away unscathed from car accidents. Uh, we are led to believe going out and partying a month before he shows up to fight former Olympic wrestling team captain Daniel Cormier and still pretty much whipping his ass. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think previous to this, you, you, you might actually understand how John Jones could look at his, his experience and, and believe that, uh, maybe he was above the law. At this point though, like if the guy is going to hear any message, it has to be this one, right? Because even though, Maybe we're not a hundred percent on the record as to what his actual problem is, though we've got some suspicions. Uh, if you can't get it together once they take your title away and put you on indefinite suspension, you're probably just not going to get it together at all. Although, if a guy hadn't learned his lesson, I guess previous to this, like it's also you know not wouldn't be shocking to think that maybe this doesn't do the trick either. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, if it is really just like at its core a basic substance abuse problem, then I don't think those are ever really that simple as far as like, well, you what he really needs is just to get in serious trouble one time and then he'll clean up his act. I mean, those the arc that those things usually take is like, yeah, you you have an incident, you realize you need to get it together, you get it together for a little while and maybe then you fall back into the the same pattern and you have to keep going back and forth with it. I mean, a lot of people have been through that in their lives and that's consistent enough that that seems to have more to do with what substance abuse issues look like than any person's individual character or anything. So that wouldn't be totally surprising if he ended up following that same kind of pattern. I guess you just want it. You you don't want anyone around him be, to be making it worse by trying to make it easier. If you know what I mean? Like saying like, Hey, we'll sweep this under the rug for you. We'll cover this stuff up for you. We will make sure you don't really face any serious consequences just because we need you to make money. Um, because that will like, almost certainly lead to even worse stuff down the road, which I think is what we've seen here. I mean, I think you have, when you look at something like this, you have to think back fairly recently to the whole one night rehab thing, which seemed just like at the time, like an obvious PR ploy, right? And it seems like if you're doing stuff like that, how do you expect the dude to get the message that like, hey, you're on thin ice here, man. Don't don't do this again. Like nobody's going to get that message at that point. The message he's going to get is like I can kind of do whatever and other people will will help me out there so that I don't ever have to face any real consequences. Manager Malki Kawa was on the MMA Epoch today with uh, Ariel Hawani and he was saying he wouldn't be surprised if John Jones never comes back. Uh, that if we get into we might get into a George St. Pierre type scenario here where uh you know, he didn't really say anything concrete about what John Jones's previous issues are, but maybe just implied that it's kind of everything in terms of the uh, pressures of being champion and fake facing this constant competition. 
And, uh, you know, especially with John Jones being on kind of a razor's edge with fans, uh, dating back really to before any of this behavior started to rear its head. Uh, he was always kind of disliked by a certain percentage of mixed martial arts fans. Is there any chance, Ben, do you think that John Jones gets a whiff of freedom, you might say, living his life without the, these constant, uh, grueling training camps and the pressure of being, being like the UFC's most dominant fighter and decides that he likes it and doesn't come back at all? I say no chance. You think he comes back? Absolutely. He comes what, back. What's your over under for how long John Jones is going to be out? Um, if he's not back by, the end of this year, I would be surprised. That's what I was going to say, too. I was thinking New Year's Eve, John Jones, Anthony Johnson, or Daniel Cormier, maybe even at Madison Square Garden if things go properly. Uh, oh, you're asking for a lot of dominoes to fall there. You know me. Okay. Specific predictions. Chad Dunn attorney at law does not shy away from specific predictions. We'll look forward to hearing you next week. Uh, those are stone cold lead pipe locks, by the way, <laughs> put all your money on that. Let's do, are you fucking kidding me, Ben? And then we will move on to uh round number two this week. My, are you fucking kidding me? Ben harkens back to what we talked about in the intro to this week's show. At this point, we all know, I guess that Floyd Mayweather is kind of a bad person. And I don't want to say much that could be interpreted as defending the guy. And to all the people who decided not to spend a hundred dollars to watch that man fight and decided to do something else with their $100, maybe something that might even help society. I say bravo, but to people who bought the fight and watched the fight. And as of this recording are still clogging up my social media timelines with complaints about the fight. I have to offer you a hearty. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, like this is the weird thing now where it feels like half the reason people spend money on stuff and particularly half the reason why people buy pay-per-view is to like complain about it afterward. And I always feel like, come on, man, nobody swindled you. There was a fight. You saw how much it cost. You paid for it. End of story. And I still want to know who these people are who are willing to spend $100 to watch a guy fight while clearly having no idea who either of the people involved in the fight are. Um, and as we said in the in the intro, had none of these people actually seen Floyd Mayweather fight before. And, and as an addendum to that, I always wonder if it crosses anyone's mind that perhaps paying money to watch two guys try to punch each other in the face from the comfort of your own living room and then going on the internet to complain that one guy didn't damage himself enough to like sate your bloodlust. Like maybe that's a little unseemly. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Well, Chad, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me has to go out to Anthony Rumble Johnson. I mean, as long as we're talking about domestic violence and, you know, he's he's had his own issues with that. Nowhere near what Floyd Mayweather's were, but I'm sure as his fight gets closer, we'll also have to make our peace one way or another uh, with how we feel about that. Um, especially if he becomes the UFC light heavyweight champion. But on the note about becoming champion, Rumble wrote on Instagram uh, this past weekend, Quote, a lot of people are sounding really dumb and saying you're not the champ until you beat the champ. Well, we know the story, so no need to go into that. At the end of the day, a new champ will be crowned and life will go on regardless of how you feel. So at the end of the day, you say you like the sport and respect the fighters, then show it by supporting, not by saying something stupid. It is what it is. Nobody is denying John his credit at all. I gotta say the are you fucking kidding me here because on one hand I love uh just how many different like kind of fighter cliche stuff he manages to pack in here um from the idea that uh 
it is what it is for one thing. I, I don't have this in front of me, but from just from your inflection, I'm going to assume that it is what it is was in all caps. No, there was an exclamation oh. point. Oh, at the okay. End, well, just as good. Yeah. Um, the is, is what it is, um, basically being like trying to shut down any further discussion of it. But also, Chad, isn't it interesting that how often the people who want you to support the sport and show what a real fan you are, uh, also seem to want you to do that by doing something that so closely aligns with their interests? Are you fucking kidding me, Anthony Johnson? You couldn't possibly understand why some people might feel like the winner of a fight for the vacant title after the title was taken away for from a dominant champion for non-performance-related reasons, how they might feel like that person had not yet completely solidified their claim on the belt. You couldn't maybe possibly understand where those people are coming from. Those people must necessarily be dumb for saying something that logically holds up pretty damn well. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back for round number two. Well, Chad, Saturday, May 9th, with the prelims popping off at 7.45 p.m. Eastern, main card doesn't get started until 11 o'clock at night Eastern time. You're looking at uh, UFC Fight Night 65, I believe, Mark Hunt versus Stipe, Stipe. Miosic. Uh, going down in Adelaide, South Australia. I mean, I'm sure the local fans there are pretty excited that the UFC brought Mark Hunt back there to, to entertain the masses. Uh, it is asking a little lot of those of us back here. Are you willing to stay up that late at night to see a fight pass card where, uh, Mark Hunt versus Stipe is pretty much the best thing it's got going for it? Well, this is the first fight pass only event in some time, right? Or did they sneak another one in there that I'm not thinking of? No, I think this is the, uh, well, actually, no, that one from Krakow, right? Oh, Krakow, that's just a, right. Just a couple weeks yeah, ago. How could I forget one, that? This is kind of the anti, uh, remember how much we were talking about how we really enjoyed a little late morning, early afternoon MMA felt appropriate for fight pass. You didn't have to stay up super late. You can kind of enjoy it with the sun still out and then had the whole rest of your day in front of you. And this one is kind of maybe the way to think about this one is this is the one for when you roll home late, uh, coming home from the bar okay. on Saturday night, yeah. you get back home, you fumble with the microwave to get some taquitos going, uh, you, you pop open one more beer that you're going to take two sips of and then realize you probably shouldn't finish. Um, and then you're going to make it just in time for Mark Hunt and Stipe Miosic to walk out before you pass out on the couch. Yeah. You know, one night, I think when we were in graduate school, I came home super late from the bars, plopped down on my couch, turned on the television, and I lucked into what must have been a replay of one of those uh, Arturo Gatti-Mickey Ward fights. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that was like one of the greatest things that ever happened to me, fight-wise, yeah. luck-wise. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know, one of the great things about the fightpass.com, one of the, the true beauties of it that I feel like always goes unrecognized is the on-demand option, right? Like, you don't necessarily have to stay up late to watch Mark Hunt fight Steve Miocic. You could you get, don't. get up the next day. Well, I'm talking about the, the average viewer here, right? right? Like... You could you could wake up the next day and and use it to soothe your hangover. 
Yeah. Instead of like staying up late or catching it when you, when you get home. So like you don't necessarily have to watch these things live. No, but unless you're a member of the MMA media. And then, uh, and then you do. Uh, but Ben, this, this like, if you're one of those people that kind of does a, uh, a cancel and, and repeat situation with the fight pass where you have to judge every, every fight pass card on whether or not it's, Worth the nine ninety nine pay per view price, essentially. Uh, I gotta think this would be one that you would miss, since uh, Mark Hunt comes in uh, just one, two, and one in his last four fights. Although he was he was looking like he might shock the world against uh, Fabricio Verdum in his last fight before uh, he ended up getting knocked out in the second round. And Stipe Miocic also comes in uh, off a loss. This one, his to uh, Junior Dos Santos over there in, uh, in December of last year. Uh, but I mean, if you're just if you if you just have the fight pass and you're you're looking for a good time to watch a some some heavyweights throw down because I think it seems pretty obvious that that's exactly what these guys are going to do. You could do worse. Yeah, right? you could do a lot worse. But and that is the thing. If you are thinking about it as you're one of the people who's not just like keeping that running fight pass subscription going. Uh, because not only are they asking you basically to, to make this into a 999, uh, pay-per-view, uh, they're asking you to pay that for one fight. Basically, you look around at the rest of this fight card and there's really just not a whole lot else to sink what your teeth into. What if I'm into. sitting at home waiting for Anthony Paroche versus Sean O'Connell? Sink my teeth into that one. Oh, okay. If you say so. I don't believe you. Just put my $10 in an envelope and mail it straight to Anthony Parash. Now that would actually be something I could get behind because he could probably use that $10. In a jar of Montana-made Huckleberry Jam. Now see. I think the it, hippo would like that. It, it wouldn't reach him until, uh, you know, late summer, which is probably like winter or something in Australia. But by the time it got there, I'm sure he'd be very appreciative of Subtle it. Subtle reminder that if, if Anthony Parash wanted to pay us back, he could send us some Tim Tams. If he enjoyed that Huckleberry Jam. Are you trying to create some kind of like unspoken agreement with Anthony Peroche right here over the what podcast? What if the entire MMA industry like operated on a weird male barter system? <laughs> Whereas like if we liked your fight, we would we would send you some local goods from our area. And if we didn't, we like sent you a jar full of dead spiders. Something like that. Wow. That, I don't know if it counts as a barter system if you're actively trying to send people things that they will not like. I don't, that's not a barter system. That's a silly that's, not how a, that's not how a barter system works. <laughs> no, it's just, you know, just laying out my dream how things could work. Well, see, here's one though, where like Mark Hunt versus Stipe, right? Like, that's, that's going to be a fight that I want to see. I, I'm, that's one of the ones where like, heavyweights, you know something exciting is probably going to happen. Both those guys can really take it and dish it out. It could be one of those heavyweight fights that actually goes the distance and yet is awesome the entire time. I mean, Mark Hunt's been in those before. Uh, you know, Stipe's, that fight with Junior Dos Santos is kind of crazy. Like, these guys don't find themselves in too many boring fights. So I think this one is going to be pretty awesome. Um, and it also makes you wonder, though, about the the oversaturation question that we've come up with before, because it seems like the kind of fight where if you added it to a pay-per-view or to one of the other events going on, um, you just bolster that event's claim. You make it into like a thing where it goes from, hey, I, I should order this pay-per-view to I absolutely can't miss this pay-per-view. Look how awesome the undercard is. Uh, and instead, if you have it just using it to kind of help you open up the Australian market, which I'm sure is very important to the UFC, but also to, to anchor a fight pass card that doesn't have a whole lot else going on for it. 
you you kind of change the importance of it a little bit uh and you just spread everything out a little more i mean do you do you see that as a problem or do we, are we learning how to live this way well that's still a problem it's always going to be a problem but like we've said a couple of times on the show like it's a problem that i don't know if you can work your way out of at this point like uh the, the, as I've said before, the UFC is essentially a giant aircraft carrier at this point. I'm, I'm, it would take a long time to change course. And like, I don't even know that you could change course, uh, to like retract to a lesser number of shows while you are involved in this Fox deal where you're contractually obligated to offer them a certain number, you know, a certain amount of content each year. And then if you're going to, uh, forge ahead with your own international expansion plans and fight pass and everything like that. Uh, you, you gotta have something right. Like now that you have fight pass, it's not like you can do away with these fight pass only events. I don't think that's a good point. Uh, remember though, when Mark Hunt showed up to fight Fabricio Verdum and like it got, it got kind of sad there for a little while. It's a good time for Mark Hunt, the fighter, not a good time for Mark Hunt, the the husband and father. It seemed like there were some, some personal things going on there. Uh, I hope he's worked through all of that and that, that we get, uh, the, the full hunt, the happy, clear headed full hunt. I was thinking about about this one. It seems like, I don't know if that was the, the, the instance where we decided like, all right, this Mark Hunt improbable rise has been fun, but it's gone as far as it's going to go. That did kind of seem like that's what we came away with from that Verdun fight. But then you have Stipe who, we still are waiting to see uh, how high that rise can go. I mean, he had that fight with Junior Dos Santos. I mean, that one could have gone his way. Uh, and I would think now it seems like one of those fights where if Mark Hunt wins, it's fun for the local fans. Uh, we have another Mark Hunt highlight to add to the big pile. Uh, but I don't know if anybody's then thinking immediately about seeing Mark Hunt fight for the UFC title. Meanwhile, if you're Stipe and you go out there and beat Mark Hunt, is that the kind of thing that gets you right back uh, in, in the title chase? Well, yeah, in the heavyweight division, it ain't hard to get into the title chase. A lot of people forget that Stipe Miocic is still just 12-2 and two in his two career losses. One of them was in that last fight to Junior Dos Santos, and the one previous to that, back in the September of 2012, he lost to Stefan Struve uh, in a fight that ended up winning fight of the night, uh, also over there in, in Nottingham, England. Uh, so that you know that Stipe Miocic gets his frequent flyer miles. Listen to the places this guy's fought for the UFC uh, just recently. Nottingham, Winnipeg, then Chicago, which is kind of close to home for him, then Sao Paulo, Brazil, then Phoenix, Arizona, and now down there in Australia to open up the important Australian fight market because you noticed that they sang the Australian national anthem before Mayweather-Pacquiao last weekend, right? <laughs> well, they you know what? They didn't do that. Here's that sounds like a great opportunity if if Stipe just has a little bit of Ric Flair in him to get up there and start shouting about how it doesn't matter if it's Nottingham, England, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Adelaide, South Australia, whatever. He's going to be the man who's showing up and doing it. I mean, come on. That sounds like a great opportunity to be the, the UFC's traveling man, doesn't it? Yeah, sort of like that promo that he cuts in the Killer Mike song, right? Yes. Ric Flair, not yes. Stipe Miocic. Stipe Miocic has yet to be immortalized in a Killer Mike song. There's still time. But there's lots of time left. So pick this one for me, Ben. I guess I got to go with Stipe Miocic. I just talked myself into it a minute ago, talking about how he was 12-2 and two and only has those two losses. Certainly, it would be better for the division here. He's the younger guy, the more athletic guy. Obviously, Mark Hunt is super hard to stop, but I guess if you had to lean one way, I have no idea what the odds are for this fight, but I guess if you had to lean one way, 
It would be toward Miocic, right? Yeah, Stipe is a little better than a two to one favorite according to the odds I'm looking at now. Looking at going off around uh, minus two twenty right now. Mark Hunt uh, there at plus one eighty five or so. Um, yeah, you would have to put the smart money down on Stipe if I were trying to talk myself into uh, an, an underdog bet on Hunt or just picking him just because it'd be fun because he's Mark Hunt. I guess I would say. Uh, the he's he's the one who doesn't have to worry about the crazy travel to go all the way to Australia, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a much shorter jaunt for him. Uh and he Stipe has seemed like, okay, like maybe you can hit him with one big shot and he, he might be a little bit susceptible to that. Whereas Mark Hunt, you're gonna if you're gonna beat Mark Hunt uh, as Stipe, you're probably gonna have to be there for all five rounds, right? Which gives him a lot of opportunities to wing one at your head. I don't know. Maybe maybe I could talk myself into it that way. Interesting. Interesting analysis. And you get plus 200 on Mark Hunt about? Not quite there. Yeah, still trying to turn an easy buck. There it is. Yeah. I, I will, I'm going to take some of this money that we're making from all this ad revenue. Uh, I'll, you know what? How about you let me hold yours too? Okay. Yes. Uh, that sounds good. I'll, I'll take it down the street to a guy I know. And, uh, hey man, I'll, I'll roll back in here early Sunday morning. And just dump the cash out on the table. That's good. You better because I've already ordered us a couple of those giant Game of Thrones Iron Thrones nice. to sit on nice. while we record the show. How can you order more than one, though? There can only be one. Man, don't ask those kind of questions. Okay. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. a double whammy of the most painful possible variety these past few days where first we learned that former light heavyweight number one contender Alexander Gustafson was out of a scheduled fight with Glover Tashira at UFC Fight Night 69 owing to injury which is a bummer for the mauler because that seemed like one tailor-made for him to go out there and get a big victory and position himself as potentially the number one contender for whoever emerges with the belt from Daniel Cormier's fight against Anthony Johnson, uh, you know, depending on how long John Jones turns out to be out. And then just a few days after that, we learned that the eagle, Nurmi, Habib Nurmagomedov, is also once again injured and out of his fight with Donald Cerrone at UFC 187 against John McDessie. That UFC 187 card is still kind of awesome, but this one hurts. It hurts to lose Nurmi, doesn't it? It does. And it also, it just, I think this is the one where I kind of started to feel like, okay, this is not going to stop happening. Like, we've talked about it before, how we seem to like to tell ourselves that, like, it was an injury bug, or maybe it was just something happening. This is the kind of point where you get to decide, okay, this is our lives. This kind of stuff yeah. keeps happening. And I also, you know, you'd, you'd hear from people on Twitter, especially with a fight like this, where they're like, man, I was so pumped when I bought tickets to UFC 187 uh, back when it was a very different fight card. And now, like you said, it's still pretty good. I mean, you you know, the people who went to like UFC events in Calgary and stuff would would 
throw tomatoes at your head if you complained about having to go see this one. Uh, but you still feel like it's diminished a little bit. Uh, and that's a, probably just going to be an ongoing problem. I mean, I still keep seeing Dana White pop up and talking about how, no, he's got a plan to fix this. They'll build in this big facility. They're going to teach everybody not to kill each other in sparring and have this rehab facility. They're not going to send guys home to do their own rehab anymore. They're going to do it like the NFL does it, conveniently leaving out that the NFL guys are employees and not independent contractors. Um, and I, I think that some of that, most of that is just stuff you tell yourself to feel like you have more control over it than you do. Yeah, this one particularly felt like a sharp stick in the eye from the MMA gods because we had just found out about John Jones getting pulled out of UFC 187 and going on his indefinite sabbatical. And when that happened, like everyone was like, well, at least UFC 187 still has Cerrone versus Nurmagomedov. Like that's the one, one of the ones that we're really looking forward to. And just days later, Nurmagomedov, who's, who's, who was in the process of returning from a previous injury to take this fight, uh, is injured again. So that was kind of like a, a, a double bummer there. But you're right about the UFC's plan to fix the injury epidemic, which you are also right about can no longer be called a bug and or an epidemic. It's just, just life. This can't be life. This is life. Uh, but it does seem weird because of what the UFC does. I don't know if you've heard this. They fix shit. That's yeah. what they that's what they do but I have heard that. It is yet another instance where it's hard to keep reminding ourselves that we are dealing with quote unquote independent contractors if there's going to be a rehab facility somewhere where you got to go live when you get injured. Like I don't know if that's exactly what they're talking about or if the UFC will oversee guys rehab at home in their gym where they train because if if they don't do that and if like you get injured and they're like, hey, come come stay in Vegas for six months or four months and do your PT or whatever. Wow. Yeah. I also, though, wonder, like, I think it's easy to tell yourself that the problem is guys are going too hard in sparring. Uh, that, you know, you got these super camps where guys like Cain Velasquez and Daniel Cormier are both there in the room at the same time beating each other up. And that's what's responsible for the injuries. But, and I don't know, maybe some of the times that is, but I... I've been in enough MMA gyms and seen when injuries happen and stuff. And it's not always just when people are going super hard. I mean, it can be your wrestling practice and you twist your knee up all weird or, you know, you just somebody rolls up on your ankle or something. I mean, that kind of stuff can just happen when you're doing a sport like this. And I think it's especially like it's not like uh, other sports where there's this this season and when, when they're in, you know, they go pretty hard beforehand to get everybody in shape to play. And then when they're in the season, they don't really practice as hard. Um, it's not really like that with MMA. I mean, you're, you're basically doing the portion where you're killing yourself to get in shape and make sure you're ready. That's the majority of your life as an MMA fighter. Like training outweighs the actual competition so heavily. I mean, it's like if, even if you only spend like two months in training camp and you're training, you know, on average, like twice a day, five days a week, you know, that's still going to be like what, you know, 60 days, uh, 120 training sessions or something, all to fight for 15 minutes on Saturday night. Like, that's a lot of opportunities for things to go wrong in training before you even get to the fight. So, I don't think it's just a, a matter of like this stuff is only happening when they're doing super hard sparring. I also think it's really con like, 
Dana White seems to like to think that, like, hey, they should do it like boxing, where you build a camp around the guy who's going to fight, and everybody else is sparring partners there, there to help the guy. And that's fine if you're Floyd Mayweather and you're making so much damn money, you can just fly everybody in and feed them and house them, and they can be there specifically for you, and if they screw up, then you send them home. MMA fighters don't really, they don't work that way. They don't have the money to do that kind of thing. They need teammates, and they need to be there for their teammates when they're training for fights, Uh, and that's a big persistent thing you hear from coaches and teams is the difference between good teams and bad teams is are people showing up and actually helping each other they count on that so to be able to say to them like hey you know make these people help you when you have a fight but don't risk yourself helping them when they have a fight i don't think that would go over well in too many mma camps well nurma gomedov is out and john mcdessey the 30 year old from halifax nova scotia is in Ben, he's four and one in the UFC, dating back to his last loss was April twenty first of two thousand twelve. Uh, and if anything, I guess can be said to salvage our emotions here. It seems like he and Donald Cerrone are probably gonna go out there and and throw hillbilly haymakers till somebody falls down. And so we might luck our way into a fun fight here. But uh, when they announced it a few days ago, it was. Hard to ignore the uh, the kind of I'm not going to say it was a deafening silence because people definitely re- reacted to it, but if you imagine them announcing it to a room that Macdessy would replace Nurmagomedov, you could imagine just the silence filling the filling the auditorium. Yeah, well, especially what I wondered when I started to think about it was, you know. Cerrone is already at this this point, right, where a fight with Nurmi was going to be the thing where it would tell you, like, okay, is is it time for Donald Cerrone to go out there and get that belt? If he beats Nurmi, then sure, yeah, like, Cerrone should be next in line. Um, I mean, he's got, what, uh, seven-fight win streak, I believe, going in the UFC right now, so it seems like, sure seems like it ought to be his time. A win over Nurmi would have solidified that. Does a win over John McDessie do the same thing? I mean, he just comes off that that decision win over Benson Henderson, which people, you know, can agree or disagree with that with the judge's call there. But still, it's on paper. It's a win over former lightweight champ Benson Henderson. Before that, beat Miles Jury. Before that, beat Eddie Alvarez. Before that, beat Jim Miller. I mean, all those wins look more significant than a win over John McDessie would seem at this point, right? So what does this really do for him? Yeah, well, it's that old double-edged sword for the Cowboy once again, just because, you know, we talked about after that Benson Henderson victory that Cowboy Cerrone had kind of created his own atmosphere in the UFC. He was an entity unto himself because he insisted on fighting so much. Uh, and, and as long as he keeps winning, I feel like you can give him a title shot at any time. I don't think anybody is going to look down their nose at a win over MacDessy and say that that's you know, that he's not worthy of, of, you know, facing off for the 155 pound championship, but it doesn't do a lot to bolster his case. I mean, clearly with Cerrone, you have to, you have to look at the whole body of work here and and the body of work is substantial. So I think that like, as long as he wins this fight, maybe it doesn't do anything to help him, but it doesn't, it doesn't hurt him either. I don't think anybody's going to leapfrog him in the contender race, as long as he goes out there and gets the victory, but that's the other side of the sword, right? The, the what now? The sword. Okay. Be, that we always talk about uh, with this guy, and that's that if you keep rolling the dice and you keep pressing your luck at the 155-pound division, the shark tank, the animal cage, eventually 
someone's going to beat you. Yeah. You just can't go undefeated in that division for a long period of time. Uh, and so the real downer here, the, 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 the worst thing that I guess could happen from a lot of people's perspective is that this would be the fight that Cowboy Cerrone goes out and loses and then kind of has to start the process. Maybe not all over, but would certainly need another win or two and before he could be considered right there in, in the pack. You're saying we could be looking at uh, RDA versus John McDessie for the UFC lightweight strap? Just Man, a, that would move some pay-per-views, a baby. A match made in promotional heaven. Just a, <laughs> The needle wouldn't even know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't the To me, it just... Uh, it, a part of me wanted to say when I heard Nermi was out, like, all right, damn it, just can we just get him healthy and then just give him the title shot? Can we, can we just do that? Like, especially if, you know, in the meantime... Uh, we have one more title shot go on, and, and, and if RDA still ends up being the champion there, we know we just want to see that fight again to see if the same thing happens over again, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Just get healthy, Nermi. God we, damn it, man. We love you. We want to see you back and healthy. I did see on Instagram now where I finally wised up and started following Khabib Nurmagomedov on Instagram, and... uh it seemed as though he had come back to his hotel room or wherever he was, and there were like big gift baskets from the UFC from Dana and Lorenzo. Um, and he was talking about how thankful he was. And it looked like it's, you know, there's just like stuff like salsa and stuff like hanging out in these yeah. gift baskets. You're like, so that's what you get a guy who just got injured and, and knocked out of what was probably a number one contender fight. But yeah, you, he can post up on the bed. And just tear into those gift baskets and just go crazy with salted meats and candy, whatever's in there. Okay. Ben, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. What is your Just Saying Stuff this week? Well, speaking of the social medias, I was on the Twitter. I was checking out uh, you know, my timeline. I see the UFC trying to, to pump up uh, the fight night event in Australia coming up this week. Um, and they send out the tweet that says, It's Monday. Take the edge off with the UFC word search. Reply with the words you found. Uh, and it is a fight night, uh, Miosic versus Hunt themed, basically, word jumble. Um, Say what now? Yeah. Where you're just kind of trying to find uh, words such as Whitaker and stuff like that that are well, and found one already. Super Samoan. Oh, there's um, two. Goes right there across the entire deck. And I was thinking, you know, I'm just saying that seems about right for this event. Yeah. Uh, you know, where other events are like these huge big time things. This is a fight night event on Fight Pass late at night on Saturday. Yeah. UFC fight night, Neosic versus Hunt from Adelaide, Australia. That's a word jumble. It's a jumble jamble. Yeah. Weird that they didn't have a word search for Mayweather Pacquiao. Well, I think that was a pretty big one. I think it was probably crossword puzzle. As part of the promotion. Yeah. Probably because no one could figure out how to spell the Philippines. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe uh, maybe they even had one of those uh, Sudokus for it. Yes. Yeah. That's that, See, that fits the high-class image High of boxing. stuff. Ben, I know that you saw this on Saturday night that UFC President Dana White got credentialed as a member of the working media for the May <laughs> Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. A bit of irony that shall ring just clear and true until the end of all of our days. Uh, first of all, are you fucking kidding me? You're a cabillionaire. <laughs> Buy a ticket. Second of all, I'm told that there were at least a few actual members of the boxing media uh, press corps 
that couldn't get credentialed for this event because either there was no room for them or because they had had some snafu with Mayweather Productions or whatever. Uh, so I'm sure that they were glad to see that Dana White was able to scoop up one of their seats, potentially. Uh, but Ben, if you looked closely at Dana White's media laminate, you might have noticed that he was credentialed as a uh, an employee of Yahoo Sports. <laughs> so, Perfect. So I guess this week I'm just saying, hmm. So I don't know. I guess it's possible that maybe they, they just like ballparked it or printed whatever they wanted on the press pass or they printed his press pass right after they printed somebody from Yahoo Sports' press pass. But if I were Yahoo Sports, I dare I say it might trouble me a little bit that a guy who does not work for my company – but is in fact one of my sources, got credentialed at one of the biggest sporting events of the year, ostensibly as a representative of my company. So that's a little weird. Just saying. I'm just saying. Just saying. That's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at UFC Fight Night 65 in the land of Oz. That's a, that's a hip and cool way to say Australia. Yeah, it sounds really hip and cool. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Now, see, when I become fake media at an event that I'm not actually planning to cover, the the media source that I usually go with is Breitbart.com. Okay. But that's me. Yeah, well, that's, that gets you instant credibility. Yeah. There. I, just, I want the respect when I walk in the door. <laughs> <laughs>